see the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And as he was longing, and he was longing, sorry, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, your brother has come back and your father has killed the fattened calf uh, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you... Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, I'm sure many of you will know that scripture pretty well. How many of you heard, have heard at least three sermons on this particular parable? Yeah, probably all of you. And probably from me, actually, <laughs> as well, some of them. Obviously, it's the parable of the prodigal son, isn't it? Although, to be honest, this parable, this story that Jesus tells, is really a story about an amazing father, isn't it? Uh, and uh, we quickly recognize as well that the story that Jesus has told, that the father in this story is obviously a symbol for God, God the Father. And it seems likely that Jesus is telling this story, this parable, because actually what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to teach people about God's attitude and his deep love for sinful people. That's the message that's really contained within this parable. God loves sinful people. He loves them. And it demonstrates so graphically this, this story, doesn't it? How willing and able he is to forgive sinners that truly come and repent, asking genuinely for his mercy. And we see that God is not only willing to do that, but he's aching to do that. 
We see the ache of the father. Do you pick that up in that story? Do you feel it? The ache of the father saying, I long to see these wayward, sinful people return so that I can pour my love and forgiveness and mercy on them. Do you see it? Yeah? Oh, good. Not just me. Now, to be honest, that, this story, I am sure, would have been a little bit shocking for his audience of the day. Uh, a bit of a shock, because generally it seems at this time, uh, people believe that you really do, if you want God's attention and his favor, you have to have behaved well. You have to have behaved properly, um, and uh, God would have no interest in you if you hadn't uh, kept yourself sin-free. If you want any kind of relationship with God or his interest, you have to keep yourself sin-free. You see, at this time, they, they, they thought God didn't just hate sin, which he does. They thought God hated sinners. And I trust, church, we've learnt God loves sinners, although he does hate sin. Have we learnt that? I, good, I'm looking for your acknowledgement of that. It's really important that we understand that. So this, this is the story that Jesus tells and as I've been reading it over the last two weeks, it's become apparent to me there are three groups of people that are pictured in this story. Uh, they're type, types or groups of people. And they're people who have certain kind of attitudes towards God. And the first uh, uh, type of person is symbolized by the younger son before he leaves home. The early part of the story is, is symbolizes a, a, a kind of person. What do we see then in this younger son right at the beginning? Well, to be honest, we see a really appalling individual, don't we? I would be horrified if my son behaved like this. Uh, we see a self-centered, naive, rude, shallow, reckless, and irresponsible. This is a terrible school report, isn't it? If your headmaster wrote that about you. Yes, uh, this is what I think of you. Yeah, self-centered, naive, rude, shallow, reckless. This, this kid clearly believes, clearly believes that the party lifestyle is the way to go, doesn't he? He believes absolutely that that's the main thing in life. If I can just have the next feel-good sensation, if I can live on the next high, if I can have you know, the next sexual partner, if I can have the next drink, if I can have the next drugs, if I can live, that is what life's about. That's what he's arguing. That's what he's saying. He's absolutely not interested in any meaningful relationship at all. His life right now is all about me and me having what I want, which is pretty shallow. And uh, I think that's his motto in life. I don't think he can just see beyond that, have a good time. And I think uh, uh, anything that stops him having those things is just frustration to him. You can't really see it as anything positive. That's just bad. Anyway, we know he gets his money and he goes out and he blows it in wild living. And uh, I'm, for a short period of time, I'm sure he probably thinks this is fantastic. 
It's all going very well. But, you know, the reality of living this way fairly quickly becomes apparent, doesn't it, in this story. And we see this kid quite quickly left in a terrible place. He's really left at the bottom. You see, there are consequences to living like that. There are absolute consequences to living just for me, for, for my pleasure, for what I want. When you live a self-centered lifestyle like that, there are absolutely consequences that you will encounter, whether you like it or not. And by the way, I think some of us can look at this kid and say, well, that sort of symbolizes a young person. I want to say to you, it's not only young people that live like this. There are plenty of older people that still live purely for themselves and their own appetites. So what are the consequences then of uh, living like this? Where is this younger son left? What do we see? Well, uh, first thing we see is that he is hungry. He's left hungry. Yeah, I mean, I guess living like this can leave you physically hungry. But actually, I think the hunger that this lad is going through at the moment is a symbol for something else. I think he's hungry for meaning. He's hungry for meaning. See, if you live superficially for long enough, eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to say, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Is this all there is? Is it just parties? Is that, is that it? Is it just... I mean, surely, because it's shallow. He's lived a shallow life, and he's suddenly woken up to the fact, yeah, there's got to be something more than this. What seemed so great and so satisfying to him suddenly has become just shallow. So he's hungry. He's hungry for meaning, for true meaning. I believe, in his life. What else do we see about him? Well, we see he's really poor. And I guess superficial living, the party lifestyle, it can leave you in financial poverty. But I want to suggest it's more likely to be an emotional and moral poverty that he's now in. You see, if you live purely for yourself... There's very little you're going to look back on your life and say, I'm so proud I, I did that. If you've taken advantage of people, you're, you're not going to look back and say, oh, that's great. You're just going to look back and think, I can't believe I was that shallow. I can't believe I was that self-centered. Don't worry, it does get better, okay? So you, you're looking a bit low. But we've got to look at the reality because this is real. It's real today, just as much as it was real back then. How else does he feel? He feels ashamed and unworthy. He goes to his father, doesn't he? And he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, that's where sin leaves you. It leaves you feeling dirty and ashamed. Lastly, what do we see? We see him alone. No one gave him anything. In fact, he's been sent off into the fields to go feed the pigs. <laughs> he's not around people, he's around pigs. 
You go off over there. He's on his own. You see, when you live a self-centered lifestyle like this lad has, eventually people really wake up to the fact that you're self-centered. Don't they? And they think, you know what? You're a taker, not a giver. And eventually people will say, I've just had enough. Get Get away from me. How do you do in your relationships? Little challenge for you. Do you give as well as take? What are you known for? So anyway, here is this lad. And he has lived like a pig. And he's ended up symbolically with the pigs. And uh, he is kind of one of them, really. Uh, We know at the time that uh, a pig was an unclean animal, wasn't it? And uh, here is this unclean lad. He's ended up with the unclean. It's sort of where he belongs because of the choices that he's made, the life that he's lived. I want to say this, uh, four four o'clock service. I think there are millions of people in our country who are in this category today. If you ask the average person, what is the meaning of life? What would they say? They'd say, it's to have a good time. It? I've got my bucket list of all the things I want to do to satisfy me in my life. Life is about me satisfying my desires. Millions of people have lived and live like that today. That means we have people in this country today who are all of those things. They are hungry for meaning. They're thinking, what is life all about? What's life all about? They're thinking, why do I feel so ashamed? Why, why do I feel so poor emotionally? And, and why am I so alone? It's quite a challenge for us, isn't it? Hello? Yeah. yeah. Just wanted to check I wasn't on my own. You hadn't all gone. Can't quite see. The lights are quite bright. Yeah, but the good news about this story that Jesus tells us is this. At some point, people who live like that will ask a question. At some point, they're going to say, is there a home that I can go to? Is there a home I can go to where I can get out of the worst of this? Is there a place that I can escape to get out of this mess of a life that I have created? Where do I go? They're going to ask. Where is home? Where is home? And of course, they won't know probably that church is home. This is where Father is. Or at least it should be here. Church, we've got to be ready for people like this to come through that door. People to come in who are hungry, poor, ashamed, and alone. I want to say it's not only non-Christians. There are plenty of Christians out there that for whatever reason have taken worldly decisions and just live worldly. And they are all of these things too. And they need to come home to a father who loves them and who passionately is interested in them, who wants to receive them and then pour his goodness on them. That's what we see in this story, a father who restores broken people. 
Trust that's what we're about. We're the home that they're going to come to. You are the brothers and sisters that are going to open the door to them. You see the question, who will they find? Who will they find? You know, there are people, I think, that have grown up in church as well. But, you know, they've never really understood the heart of God. And they thought that God was just restrictive, limiting, boring, moralistic, dull. And they thought that true life wouldn't be found in the church. It would be found in the world. And they've probably been bitten badly as a result of that. Young people, is that you? Do you feel that? Do you, in your heart of hearts, feel that? I want to say to you, if you think that, then you don't know God. You really don't know him. He is not like that, is he? Oh, he's full of joy, full of mercy and kindness. The Bible tells us then that this son then came to his senses. And that brings me to the second group of people. So, and the second group of people, I think, is summed up really by the, the younger son again, but it's after he returns home. This, this symbolizes a group of people. And uh, it's less to say, really, about this group of people, because it's really more about this amazing father. This is where we discover in the story how good our father is, our heavenly father. I guess what we do see, though, first of all, is we see this. We see genuine repentance, so this lad comes to his senses. He wakes up and thinks, what am I doing? I have discovered what I thought was so great is actually really shallow. <clears throat> and he goes home. I want to say to you, that's where it begins. It begins with genuine repentance. How do you change this terrible life? How do, you, how do I get out of this? Well, it starts with saying, God, I am so sorry. Not saying, oh, I'm sorry, get me out of this. No, it says, God, get me. I, I know I've made mistakes here. Sometimes, you know, in life, you've just got to face God. You've got to open your eyes and look at him in the eyes and say, I've made a mistake. Hands up. It's my fault. Don't try and get round it. Don't try and excuse yourself. Lots of us try and do that. Sometimes you just got to face him and ask for his forgiveness. But, and we see that in this lad, genuine repentance. And then he goes home and we see this wonderful father who runs out to him as soon as he sees him. It's just, I, I weep when I read this. I, do, do, do you, are you affected by this story? I am so affected by this story. This father runs out to his father, uh, to his son, and he falls on him and he kisses him. And the passion of God for this lost lad is seen so clearly in this father. <clears throat> and he just can't wait, this father, to shower this broken boy with good things, things that he does not deserve. Yet God wants to pour his goodness on him. And he immediately called. You know this lad, he, he's got this story. Have you, have you seen this story? He has three things to say. He's going to say, Father, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, treat me like a servant. He has three things. And he's practicing it. And then when he actually gets home, he's only able to get through two things before the heart of the father just bursts across him. I'm not having you not being a son. You are my son. 
and he calls for the robe. You know this robe? Now, the commentators will say this means different things, but uh, Tim Keller would say the robe was probably the father's robe. So it's indicating this is my son, and I want everybody to see this is my son, and I love him, and I'm proud of him. So the, the, the son immediately is affirmed with sonship. I think things like self-worth and uh, value and purpose are immediately given uh, to this son. So this category of people is about a group of people who have genuinely entered into relationship with God. And I trust that's, that's us. That's us who have believed, who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Be encouraged This story tells us that there is healing and restoration available for everyone who's been broken by life. Even when you've made terrible decisions and you know you jolly well deserve what's come your way, God is still full of mercy and kindness to you. That's good. All right, okay. I've I've touched on that. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say this as well. One other quick thing about this category is just see how much delight there is in the Father at this boy's salvation. Can you see how it's the Father who calls for the party? It's the Father who says, we are going to celebrate what's happened. When you became a Christian, when you became a Christian, the Father commanded a party in heaven. And he said, they are saved. That one. Not, not, you know, it's not a block booking this. Oh, there's half a dozen there. They're all in. We'll have a party. No, it's you individually. The Father celebrates over you individually. In other words, listen to this. You are so important to God. You are so important. It's like God saying, right, stop. Whole of heaven. Have you seen what's happened? They've come through and they are now, they were dead and now they're alive. We are going to celebrate. Put the volume up and the father's up doing the dancing. I'm sure it's better dancing than that, but <laughs> he would have danced. He was dancing over you. Yes, all right, you do it next time. Yeah, he went bonkers. It's really important you understand. Do you see the value that God has for you? The value he has for you. So important to see. Let me ask you a challenging question around that, though. How do you do with celebrating other people's success or their freedom? When somebody else tells their story, God blessed me. I was in real need and he gave me a hundred thousand pounds. And how are you thinking? Oh, oh, nice, nice. Nice. I was given a tenner the other day. (laughs) See, if we're learning to be like God, we'll do the running out to those who are broken, won't we? We'll run out to them. See, a good brother would have run out with his father to welcome his broken brother home. That's what a good brother would have done. See, a good brother would have learnt to be like his dad. A good brother would have said, Father, are we really going to welcome him home? Yes, we are. Right, okay, I'll come with you. What are you you're celebrating it, right? I'll celebrate too. I, I, you're going to have to show me how to do it, right? Okay, 
We learn to be like our Father. We don't start there, but we do learn to become like Him. See, in Christ, we're a family. It's about Him, it's about us, and not just me. That's who we are. We celebrate each other's successes. Your success matters as much to me as my own. We should do. I trust we're moving in that direction. So that's the second category. Lastly, the older brother. The older brother. I can almost hear the booze going on. <clears throat> yeah, this older brother is in some ways a complete opposite to his younger sibling. And he really does sum up what it is to be religious and legalistic. Uh, he, he kind of sums up uh, religion generally. And religions all around the world say this. You have to behave well. And if you do, you'll be acceptable to God. And he'll be interested in you. But if you don't, you won't. So in other words, you've got to earn favor with God. All religions, except for biblical Christianity, would argue that. Now, the problem with this is that actually none of us deserve it. None of us deserve God's favor. That's the truth. And uh, so if you think you're good at behaving well, or at least better than other people, this story tells us you're going to end up proud, judgmental. You're going to absolutely lack joy. You're not going to know what it is to take real joy in God. You can act it, pretend, but in here you won't know what it is to be joyful with your heavenly father. If you're religious, you'll feel superior and arrogant. If you're religious, you won't understand God's heart, but you will think you are completely on track with God. Religious people actually are very confused by God and actually very annoyed by his goodness. And uh, they're, they're particularly to those who have not behaved well. I've behaved well, is their argument. You haven't. How come you've got God's favor? That's not right. Do you see what that does, if we're like that, to the attitude of the broken when they come in through the door? See, if we're like that, what we'll say is, you haven't behaved very well, and you've come to clutter up the church, and it's very inconvenient that you're here, and actually I'm quite annoyed that you're in here. Because I've been religious all my life. That's not the heart that God is looking for, is it? See, there's no love for his lost brother. There's no delight that his brother was once dead and he's now alive. The father has to actually take this brother to one side and explain why it's good that he is better for his brother to be alive, not dead. I mean, how weird is that? But this is what he does. Which category are you in? You might be in more than one. And if you're like me, you're more in one sometimes. And then I wander out of that one. Think, oh, that's not so good. I'll go into that one. But the big question I want to leave with us is, who will they find? Who will they find? See, if, if, if we're right... And there are millions of people out there who are broken, lonely, and are looking for home. That means lots of people will come in. 
and perhaps lots of people even to this service. So it's a direct challenge for all of us. And the question is, who will they encounter? What kind of brother or sister will greet them at the door when you open the door to them? Will they see people who are in the first category who are not really bothered about God at all? Actually, you find God a bit, oh, 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 God's so restrictive. You don't want to come in here. Go, go somewhere else. Is that what they're going to see? Are they going to find people who are older brothers who are going to tell them off for their bad behavior all the time? Actually, what we want is a whole group of people who are like the Father. Who've learned to be like their father. Like fathers who celebrate over their lost sons. Can we be that? Can we be that? Because that's what they need. That's what they're desperate for. That's what they need to encounter. Why don't we pray? Jesus, I uh, just come to you. And uh, Father, I just want to say to you. I am so grateful for your heart. I'm so grateful for who your word tells us you are. And I know it's true. I know that you're full of passion and kindness and forgiveness and mercy. I am so glad, Lord, so many of us in this room have benefited because of your kindness to us. Now, Lord, please would you get hold of us and would you help us to become more and more like you so that we are kind and merciful, and generous, and giving, joyful. Lord, we can't do it without you. This is not about us expressing self-effort. But Father, it is about your power on us changing us. So come, Holy Spirit. Please would you help us to have a heart like yours. In your mighty name. Amen.